0: else like nursery rhymes some people uh, i used to make them up for my own children actually i don't know I just really as a a parent i remember that and they still remember them now i'm not going to sing them because i'm slightly embarrassed i don't know you guys well enough yet um but you know they were designed to either comfort my 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 kids um or potentially put them to sleep you know those are the way i kind of used to use them Uh, So one of the other reasons I'm not going to sing them to you this morning because I don't want you to fall asleep. So uh, I won't do that. Um, But I'm going to read it just as we start our time together today. I won't sing it. So I'm sure most of you know this one reasonably well. So hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's going to buy you a mockingbird. And if that mockingbird won't sing, then mama's going to buy you a diamond ring. And if that diamond ring turns to brass, mama's going to buy you a looking glass. And if that looking glass gets broke, mama's going to buy you a billy goat. And if that billy goat won't pull, mama's going to buy you a cart and bull. And if that cart and bull turn over, mama's going to buy you a dog named Rover. And if that dog named Rover won't bark, Mama's going to buy you a horse and cart. And if that horse and cart fall down, you'll still be the sweetest little boy in town. So I don't know if there's different versions of that. Maybe you have different versions of that that you might know. Uh, Even as I'm reading that, I'm kind of going, gee, there's some weird stuff in there, isn't there? Like who wants a billy goat? I don't know. I don't want a billy goat. And, in fact, Billy Goat's gruff is a story I remember as a kid that used to terrify me. So, I don't know, maybe I just have a uh, reaction to that. Uh, Mockingbird, no. Diamond ring, yep, I'll take that one. Uh, Looking Glass, that could be useful too. Um, a dog that doesn't bark, that sounds like perfect. So, I don't know why you'd want to get rid of that one. Uh, so, there's a lot going on here, isn't there? Um, but, you know, m- most nursery rhymes they don't have an author and a date you know we we we, we don't really know who wrote it for many of them uh, where they come from um but it seems the little the little bit of research i did on this uh, i'm a bit nervous with lynn in the room in terms of research uh, and stuff but uh, i confess i did have a sneaky glance at wikipedia which is not a great source but there you go but it, it does originate in one of the southern states right uh, within america probably they reckon at the beginning of last century, um, and at least my limited analysis of of the poem, or and uh, you know, kind of engaging with it, it seems that it's designed to kind of want to put a child to sleep. And as a parent, uh, those of us that have a young kids, we know how intense that is, and how desperate we want to want our kids to go to sleep. And this this you know, nursery room, hush, little baby, you know, don't cry. It's time to go to sleep, you know. Um, And there's a sense I get with this nursery rhyme that the child is restless, uh, battling to sleep, and there's real hope that the song uh, will calm the child as they kind of gently nod off to sleep. Um, But, you know, this particular nursery rhyme actually seeks not only to do this, but Promises the world to this child <laughs> right? so many benefits, and this is my reading of it by the way. Disclaimer so many benefits if they just go to sleep you know, a mockingbird, a diamond ring, a looking glass, a goat, a cart, a bull, a dog, a horse. Just please go to sleep,
1: <laughs> you know.
0: Um, and uh, I don't know, I would have gone straight to sleep. That sounds like a perfect deal to me to get all those things, you know, just, just pretend you're asleep. Um, but you know, when you really dig into it, and I think that's why this one has been picked, I suspect who's ever been part of the team that organizes it, the subtleties here are really, really interesting in this nursery rhyme. Um, you know, you know, even if these things break, don't worry. I'm just gonna get you a new one. You know. Um, I remember my kids how stressful that was when we when they we got them an iPad, you know, when they were gonna uh, young and or you know they get their phone, or you buy them a toy. And have you ever been in a scenario when it breaks, like the next day, some or, or something like that with a toy? And there's a subtle thing. Oh, I'm just going to get you another one. I was like, no, I can't really afford that. But there's sometimes there's a sense in our culture. Oh, it breaks. We'll just get you something else. Um, so there's that happening in the in the nursery rhyme too. Um, but there's also even something a little bit deeper than that um, around. Uh, that somehow our restless nature can be soothed by getting things, right? At least that's what I see there. Sometimes our restless nature can be soothed by getting things. So um, now Jesus, and we've read the, uh, um, uh, I think it was Mary who beautifully read it for us. I think it was the, the passage, um, but I'll, I'll, we'll get to Luke in a second. But um, uh, But, you know, Jesus, in fact, cautions us against wanting more and more stuff in fact i think it's not in my notes here but i think jesus spoke more about money than any other topic i could be wrong on that it's just coming to my brain at the moment but um i think jesus is, is kind of in sympathy in some ways with with um uh a, a kind of a reading of this poem in this way so in matthew six nineteen uh, to 21 um jesus uh is in sympathy with the nursery rhyme in the sense that things break, right? The stuff that we have break. Um, He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth uh, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, you know, Jesus realizes things break too. (laughs) Um, But Jesus also cuts against some of the assumptions, the deeper assumptions that may be running through this nursery rhyme uh, that more and more things can relieve our restlessness. Right? Uh, So, life isn't about how many things we have and can get. Uh, No amount of stuff will eventually hush us to sleep from the restlessness and anxiety that we all experience in life. So that's, you know, the, the passage that was read, Luke 12, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard. It's like quite an active thing here, like be on your guard <laughs> against all covetousness or greed. And I think that I wrote it down, was it, uh, in in the translation, all kinds of greed, I think was the passage that Mary read. Um, You know, there's there's variations of what greed could look like. For one's life, Jesus continues, does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. So I think I would suggest at least that in this nursery rhyme uh, that Jesus is warning us against the dangers of consumerism, uh, and that's kind of what I want to focus in on today. Um, now again, uh, I've been told both when i when I led a church, and my my students tell me I've perfected the art of the disclaimer, so I just have to throw one in quickly before I get into the details. Um, uh, and And that is that I'm a consumer holic. So when I'm sharing some of this stuff with you, i don't I don't want you to to to, to hear that I've kind of got this all worked out, right? Um, I, I battle with being in this culture as much as all of us do. So I just want to name that as I get into this. This is something I'm struggling with myself um, as I as I share along. So I'm going to share two main thoughts with you, uh, and then I'm going to try to give some practical suggestions of what I've tried to do in my own life in terms of thinking some of these through and uh, in a way that tries to take Jesus' teachings seriously, which is really hard, by the way, isn't it? Um I, I once, um, gee, I've got to be really careful of rabbit trails when I've got a 25-minute time thing here. But I'll just tell you quickly, it's really, really easy to believe in Jesus, much more difficult to follow Jesus, right? I remember getting up to, on Sunday one time at church and said, hey, guys, look, I'm just letting you know I'm done with this following Jesus And this congregation. Like, what do you mean? So I said, believing, yeah, cool. Let's tick box. Yep, no problem. I can do the believing, but but following. I mean, have you seriously read the Sermon on the Mount? Like. <laughs> That's pretty intense. Uh, so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm battling with that as well. But Jesus, you know, he's, he's, he's telling us to be on our guard here, uh, and I think for good reason. So the first thought I want to quickly tackle is um, to think about at least is, uh, which I kind of said already, is more things can't fix our pain and longing. Uh, more things can't fix our pain and longing. Um, and hence, you know Jesus' suggestion: be on your God when it comes to wanting more and more things uh, is worth sitting. Why? Why be on your God? I mean, that's quite an active stance. Um, you know, Christians like to take moral positions on things. I don't know if you've found that, um, particularly things like sex. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that here, but. Uh, you know, sex is something you can measure, right? So if if somebody does something wrong in the area of sexuality, you know, say sex before marriage, if that's the view that that one might have or someone else's sexuality, we can Christians like to take positions on that. And what your position is because it's something you can measure, right? And um, but greed is much more difficult to measure, much more subtle, isn't it? Is it two SUVs, uh, two flat screen TVs? Um, Oh, this gets difficult. Let's rather not talk about it. How, how do we measure greed? It's a tr- it's a difficult one. How how big a wardrobe do we have? How many clothes do we have? Um, you know, do we measure ourselves against our neighbour here in uh, Melbourne, wherever you are, or if you're in some of the other parts of Australia, or do we measure ourselves against uh, um, those that find themselves in poorer contexts, not only in Australia but perhaps in other parts of the majority world? Um, you know, it becomes really difficult. Uh, and so we hence, we don't really talk about greed much in church and consumerism, you know. Um, so this next sentence, again, you don't have to agree with me. I always tell my students that um, as, as I go on. But um, this is the way I think about it, at least, is that I think we're part of a, a global capitalist system that is constantly marketing and advertising to us that we need more and more things, Okay, yeah, That's my kind of working assumption as I try to make my way in the world. There's a, You've probably seen this book if you've been into a bookstore uh, called Sapiens by Yuval Hariri. I'm sure you might have seen that book. Um, controversial, don't agree with everything he says. And he's written another book on the future, you know, in 300 years, or whatever. But he, he makes this interesting comment that the earliest humans might have had between 8 to 12 items in their home. Right, I think I have eight to twelve items on my body right now. <laughs> like I, I could count, but I'd be pretty close to that, you know. Uh, and as you kind of, I would not show you my whole uh, library space here, but I've got a lot of lot of stuff going on here, right? So, um, but this 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 advertising system is everywhere. Right, wherever you go, and sometimes if you're driving on a road, you just look around. Everybody's there's advertising going on everywhere, you know. But it's become more insidious, hasn't it? Probably the last ten years. So it's on our phones now. It's on our computers. You know, you do a search on something, and all of a sudden, when, you, when you're next there, something else pops up on your screen. And you go, going, "Oh, how did they know? Oh, yeah, okay, because they figured out I was, you know, searching this area. And now this is popping out and um but it's everywhere. It's, you know, in a, one of the reasons we didn't have a TV growing up for the first, well, with my kids, um, and it was a personal decision for a whole bunch of different reasons was just the sheer weight of advertising, um, that, that was coming through that, that system, you know? Um, so it's everywhere. Um, and this kind of system really wants us to buy more stuff and it wants us to buy things we don't always need. Right. Um, and uh and the system is even a bit more trickier than that they have something called built-in redundancy have you ever heard of that uh, so they actually build systems to not last today i've noticed that because my lemon iphone keeps conking out on my earphones it's the left one that always goes i don't know what it is about the left one um and uh you know that's so same with washing machines light bulbs uh, uh they're built in the system so it actually starts breaking down at some point so you can buy something else there's a term for that, um, and so uh, you know those of you have watched the Matrix. My daughters have started watching it, and it's so nice to watch the early versions with them because, of course, the new ones come out. Um, I can see Rachel. Are you smiling? You're a you're a Matrix fan, maybe, maybe not. Um, but uh, you know, the Matrix is interesting, and people use it for different reasons. Uh, but I, I sometimes think that. I sometimes things with this global capitalist system that we are in that we are fine, you know, we're almost in a matrix and we don't even know it. Sometimes it's just so hard when you're swimming in this water of, of life to, to kind of see things differently. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's hard to be content with our old phone that works sometimes, or, you know, content with our clothes that are now slightly out of fashion, you know, um, and, and, Uh, and those kinds of things. And Jesus is saying life does not uh, consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. It sounds like I've just planted a very gruesome picture about never wanting to buy stuff or engage with stuff. I I love buying stuff. I love certain clothes. Um, I I love certain furniture. I love certain pieces of works of art. Um, I think the challenge is what, what Jesus might be on about years, it's, it's, it's more about that inner state. If we think buying these things are going to make us a certain way or relieve our anxiety, that might be the challenge. Not that things are wrong in and of themselves. You know, there's a philosopher called Alan de Botton, I think I'm pronouncing his surname right, but uh, and he wrote a book called Architecture of Happiness, which is a really interesting book. And the book itself speaks about, you know, buying works of art aren't going to make you happy or bring out this specific um you know um uh, solve your problems or, or things like that um you know and he makes a comment that you know one of the things the nazis did is they bought all these they stole sorry all this famous art uh and and you know there's this picture of these amazing artworks and there's goering and goebbels walking past them it just having the right art ain't gonna make you nice people right but to alan de Botton's point is it actually can accentuate the very beautiful parts of who we are and what we might want to be. And that's a different angle to come at, you know, uh, in terms of art and things. And it's part of who we are and how we move in the world. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't ever buy anything and and that, but it's about filling that hole and buying more and more stuff. So there's also been research, something on the golden triangle of happiness. Sometimes you see that flick through ABC uh, quite a lot. Has anybody heard of that? I think the research actually came out of Australia, but, The golden triangle of happiness says that there's three core areas that support our well-being strong personal relationships um some level of financial stability uh, and purpose in life right and uh, the studies in australia show that we get very little improvement in our well-being when we earn over thirty thousand dollars per annum now that's uh, you know, we, we all come from different spaces, but the research seems to indicate that the incremental benefit of earning more than thirty thousand dollars per annum uh, doesn't increase our well-being massively. Up to thirty thousand, it actually does, but not so much over, right? Um, but what what is it about relationships and purpose, the life where things things are in? You know, I've I've just started reading a book by Lisa Miller is a professor at Columbia University entitled The Awakened Brain. If you haven't got it, it's really worth having a look at. And she suggests that spirituality and being part of a religious community is actually protective against depression and anxiety, right? Things that obviously we would know work against our sense of of happiness. Um, And did her her research, particularly the recent stuff, shows that those who are involved in uh, religious practice actually have changes in their brain structure there's the thought so that we could delve into that a lot uh, but in the same way that it would be protective against areas of depression you know um, so being part again you can see that the, the part of the, that triangle of relationships uh, and a sense of purpose um I think all of us have had the experience of that feeling when we buy stuff that initial way or high right that we get. But we do know that it wanes off over time. Again, I could see some people nodding. So, it doesn't buying more and more things ultimately doesn't fill our hole, in our hearts, and release us from the anxiety? Um, and in fact, can make it worse. Um, and the, the the difficult part of this, which leads me to my second kind of major point, is you know we're never satisfied. But the further dangers of our limitless quest for more is the resourcing problem. Right. And I think Lynn actually prayed when you were praying and I was thinking about this as well. You know, you spoke about the resources and the way we treat the resources in our planet. So my second contention is not only does buying more and more things not fill our whole uh, uh, restlessness, as Jesus said, life uh, does not consist in the abundance of possessions, but two, buying more and more things is likely going to destroy our planet. <laughs> right. So I think again, I read, it's not in my notes, but um, that we need about eight earths amount of resources for the whole world to live at the standing of, standard of living that the Western world live at. Eight earths. That's a lot of resources, right, uh, to, to, to go around. Um, and again, uh, I appreciate that people have different views on climate change and things like that. I'm not going to tell you what to think on that, Um um, my, my view is that humans are part of uh, creating the climate crisis that's the direction I take um, and as a theologian I, I tend to go to the view generally with theology that I'm happy for my theology to go beyond science but I certainly don't want it to go beneath right what's what's being communicated um, so I think that the science is compelling and, and and that you know humans are responsible in some way for the climate change that's happening and um, and so, you know, this, this one of the insights of this is that our desire for more and more stuff and think of the industrial revolution where this kind of explosion began to happen um, is that we, it's really hard for us to continue that the way we're going in terms of the things that we're buying and producing to create a sustainable planet for everyone on it. right? And that's going to be tricky to do. And, um, you, you know, we can see these huge rubbish dumps that we keep filling all the stuff that we keep throwing away. I think they say Australians waste 30 to 40% of what we buy from the grocers, at least there's a, that's a staggering thought we actually don't eat it. We throw it away. I mean, that's a, it's an amazing statistic. Um, so I think, I think the danger here, um, which wouldn't have necessarily been the case at Jesus time, but a quest for more and more, I think will lead to planetary collapse. Right. And hence, the trees of the field will not be able to clap their hands in joy to the Lord because there will be no trees um, with hands to clap. So, you know, h- how do we as Christians can we be part of the solution? Now, often, unfortunately, in this area, Christ- Christians tend to be more of the problem, and there's a whole there's a whole whole thing of of, of why that's the case, and uh, we can't go to, into it today. Um, but how, how do we as Christians be part of this solution and, and work, as Jesus would say, be on God or work against this capitalist system and work against this idea um, that somehow buying more and more stuff is going to fill this hole? Um, well, first of all, we could probably just initially agree that more and more things aren't going to satis- satisfy our lives. It's probably not going to make us happy. Um, and perhaps the research, and I have just pulled a few strings together today, supports this. Um, and perhaps we need to take the pull in the matrix—I forget which color it is—to wake up uh, and realize um, that we do find ourselves in this system, and we actually need to be on God, as Jesus is saying that we should be. Um, so we need to own our own anxiety and restlessness, just you know, instead of pretending that it's not there, just. Maybe a first step is admitting it, uh, and trying not to fall asleep on it. Don't be succumb by the nursery rhyme. Don't be succumb by the advertising system. You know, um, and and try to think of practices and behaviours um, that would seek to cultivate a cultivate a relationship with God rather to fill that hole and that anxiety. So you know Romans fourteen seventeen. Um, Paul uses this. The kingdom of God is uh, not only about eating and drinking, but about justice, peace, and joy. By the way, there's still eating and drinking there, which is really great, particularly if you're going to Provence, guys. Uh, but um, it's not only about eating and drinking, but it's about justice. Wow. I mean, we prayed for the Uluru statement, didn't we, earlier? Uh, you know, earlier. Isn't that beautiful? Um, peace. Not just peace with God. It's actually that Hebraic word, shalom, which encompasses all the socio-political things that we're involved in, all aspects of our life, and joy. Um, you know, the kingdom of God is about these things. Uh, Philippians 4.17, uh, the peace of God surpasses all understanding, and that will guard, remember this word again is coming up, uh, Paul's using it this time, not like Jesus, guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So my, my challenge to myself and to you guys is find time, In your day, this is about being on God, you know, uh, in your day, if you can, I know we will have, life is full. I mean, I already told you what I do when I wake up in the morning. Uh, You know, God doesn't exist until I have my first cup of coffee. No, that's not true. But, um, you know, find time for meditation. Find time for prayer in your day. See if you can cultivate your spirituality. Now people do that in different ways. We'll come from uh, some. Most of us maybe hear from the Church of Christ tradition, but there's lots within the Christian tradition that we can use as a resource uh, in terms of connecting to God, right? So meditation, prayer. I, I, um, I read a lot of the John O'Donohue. I don't know if anybody's come across his material. Celtic mystic. Again, some people are nodding. I've just been to the west of Ireland and, and come back from uh, his area and, and we, we we went past his his grave, which I didn't, uh, which wasn't planned, but there you uh, go. So, you know, what are the practices in our individual lives that we can cultivate in a sense to be on God, to realise that buying all those things is just not going to fill our anxiety and restlessness, but perhaps God can. That will surpass our understanding as a way of being on God. um. Second one is, is um, find a faith community to be a part of. Now, I'm speaking to the converted here. I realize that, right, um, in, in this sense. Um, but at least realize how important it is. And the research is showing this, as Lisa Miller from Columbia University has has demonstrated quite convincingly, and the golden triangle that was more broadly around relationships. But her research is actually faith communities and spiritualities particularly, which is really interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, being part of a faith community fosters relationship with others. It also provides a protective factor against depression and anxiety. You know, uh, it also provides purpose, which is one of the other parts of that golden triangle that I mentioned earlier. Um, the practices that we've even done here today—we sang together, didn't we? Uh, that song by Matt Redman um, from Soul Survivor. Um, we prayed together. Uh, Terry led us in communion together. Uh, these are practices within a faith community that shape us um, in a way that we can positively participate in God's kingdom. It's not an end in itself. It's a way that we come together to foster relationships, um, connect, find a sense of purpose. But then as Paul said, we, you know, we 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 go out and we bring justice, we bring peace, and we bring joy. And this, these practices that we're doing together right now is part of that. So I think I'm talking too long. I think I've got two more minutes. I'm going to give a, a, a few little news, uh, th- uh, thoughts um, that I think might be helpful. So how do we how do we be on guard and fight against the matrix global capitalist system? That sounds dramatic. Um, so just a few little things that I've found helpful. Take them or leave them for yourself. Buy sustainable if you can. You know, uh, uh, patch your clothing if you can. Sometimes I know it's a bit weird, um, but you know, uh, shop secondhand if you can. Sometimes, not all the time. I get, I get it. I, I, I saw something in Dublin that I just said I have to have. That's me. Yeah. So be kind to yourself. God's not angry with us. But, but on the whole, see if we can cultivate more and more of these practices in, in terms of buying second hand And I was going, do I really need that fifth coat? You know or something like that. Uh, so it's just a question that we ask ourselves. doesn't mean we won't buy it, but ask the question too. Uh, eat sustainably, that's a bit more controversial perhaps for some. If you want, I can send you some of the research that I've written and published in that space. Um, for me, that's been about eating less uh, meat um, for a whole bunch of different reasons, and we can go into well, – or we can't go into that. We don't have time. But uh, if you want, you can email me, and I can send you some of the stuff that I've written on, on why that's important as well. Thirdly, use public transport when you can hard in Australia. I get it. We're trying Um, uh, easier in Europe. Uh, You know, you can get a train from Paris to Provence, can't you, in three and a half hours? Um, But keep talking about Provence. You can see I really want to go back there. Anyway, uh, four, just ask yourself the simple question, do I need this or do I want this? It's It's not bad to want something, but just ask yourself that question because sometimes we get those confused. Uh, I'm getting there. I'll close in a second. Time. Uh, if if I want this, so that's the fifth thing. If I want this, uh, why do I want this? Would just be a useful next step. Why do I actually want this? I'm a Nottingham Forest supporter who, who and the, they've just got back to the Premier League after 20 years. Um, I really want a Nottingham Forest jumper, and I bought one yeah, just to admit that publicly. Um, you know, uh, and uh, you know, do I need it? Probably not. You know, but just kind of have those kind of questions. And then six, something that I've tried to do, finding it more and more hard to do is a Sabbath, right? Try and step away from our devices or your work, whatever that, that is. Um, the Romans didn't like that the Jewish people did that. Uh, they called them lazy. Um, but this is crucial. I, I can't, for me, this is crucial. You know, um, Eugene Peterson uh wrote the message. He says we should try to start our Sabbath in the same way as the Jewish people did the night before, you know, so 5 p.m., whatever it is. Can we close our computer for 24 hours? I don't know. You know, I find that hard. Um, and and stepping away and, and, you know, we go to sleep, Eugene Peterson says, uh, sleeping and God sustains the world. So that's the first part of the Sabbath. God sustains the world. Uh, and then we live as if our work is done. I mean, how hard is that? You know, so it is hard, sorry. I'm not saying how hard it is, that. It is hard, but that's part of the Sabbath. So those are things, uh, again, uh, the danger if we do some of these things that I've just said without tackling the spiritual practices, we're just going to get hard on ourselves uh, and, you know, um, and get overly restless and anxious. We have to have that spiritual component of our practice, our meditation and stuff while we do those actions. So it's contemplation and action working together, each and of themselves or not the full picture, but particularly if you just try to do all these things, we'll burn out um, and lose the sense of purpose that we're going. So cultivate your spirituality and find and participate in a faith community. Final comments is um, we don't want the baby to be hushed, right? We want the baby to wake up and realize that more and more things won't soothe it. Uh, So, and this advertising message, who's ever trying to pull us to sleep, they don't really care about us. They really care about themselves on their bottom line. Um, and and the, the capitalist system wants us to fall asleep in the moment, right, and succumb to that. But ultimately, though, it knows we're going to stay restless and anxious, and it builds stuff in the, into the system to make sure that we do. Uh, but Jesus reminds us uh, that in this life we will have trouble, We will have trouble. We will have trouble. We will have trouble, just to emphasize that. But take heart because I've overcome the world is what Jesus says, right? So trouble, yep, this is it. We know life is difficult. M. Scott Peck, first sentence of his beautiful book, The Road Less Traveled*: life is difficult, right? But take heart, I've overcome the world. Uh, So let's be on our guard, but let's do it in a way where we take serious our own spiritual journey for ourselves, but also participate in a faith community in terms of cultivating relationships and purpose as we go along god bless you all